Hello, everybody. This is Bill Miller, Senior Member Executive with the Pennsylvania Chamber of Business and Industry. And we're excited to have two real uh, professionals, experienced folks in both Washington and Harrisburg on an exciting conversation about the new legislature in Pennsylvania and obviously the new Congress in Washington as well. Uh, joining me is Congressman, former Congressman Phil English, uh, who served for seven terms representing Northwest Pennsylvania, the Erie area, and was a distinguished member of the Ways and Means Committee. Congressman English is now serving as the Senior Government Relations Advisor and Co-Chair of the Government Relations Practice at Arendt, Fox, and Schiff, a prominent Washington and, frankly, national uh, firm uh, with offices in Pennsylvania as well. Welcome, Congressman. It's a privilege to be here. Thanks, Bill. And we're also joined by our own Alex Halper, our Vice President of Government Affairs here at the Chamber. Alex has been with us for 12 years. Can you believe it's been that long, Alex? I uh, just flew by, Bill. And Alex is obviously leading our entire team of government relations professionals, but also specializes in uh, areas of labor and employment, education, uh, appropriations, and also previously served in Washington on the staff of former Senator Arlen Specter. So thanks again for joining us, Alex. Thank you, Bill. So we're talking today about the new legislatures, both in Harrisburg and Washington. And, you know, you're likely listening to this after the dust is settled uh, with everything happening in Washington right now. We're recording this actually not quite sure who the speaker is going to be. But I think either way, uh, the new speaker, whoever that ends up being, is going to be dealing with a very tight majority um, and also a U.S. Senate that uh, doesn't align with them necessarily. So, Congressman, love your perspective on, you know, how the House Republicans and the Senate Democrats are going to govern with such narrow majorities in, in both houses. I think the Senate Democrats have demonstrated that with even a razor thin majority, uh, they have the capacity to drive uh, serious legislative content forward. What they're not going to have is the option of reconciliation. I think when, as the Republican uh, uh, selection of a speaker uh, settles down and as committees are chosen, uh, you're going to see the House, which is going to become an effective barrier. Uh, in a lot of respects, uh, to major legislative initiatives from the left. Uh, you're also going to see a potential for a rethinking of the House as a legislative body. For too long, basically, a strong speaker system has existed that has allowed Nancy Pelosi and others to function effectively as autocrats. Uh, that is not the way the political culture of the House has drifted in recent years. And I think what you're likely to see uh, is a couple of things. One, I think there will be a legislative activity this year, but it's not going to be a big uh, ideological initiatives. What it is going to be is uh, technical improvements, corrections, uh, and small ball legislation done within committees with a certain amount of bipartisan participation uh, and then uh, rolled out on the floor of the House. Uh, there, are, there are a couple of obvious places to look for this to happen. With G.T. Thompson of Pennsylvania as the new chairman of the Agriculture Committee, G.T. is going to be doing a farm bill, 
and although there's been some skepticism, I think there is uh, a bipartisan base there to put together a working farm bill that can pass in this Congress. Uh, I think you're also going to see, you're probably not going to see a budget pass um, uh, both houses, uh, although you have Mr. Boyle and Mr. Spocker both in critical positions in the House on this. What you're likely to see is two very different budget authorities uh, developed uh, for each house and then kind of waved through. So uh, in terms of a response to the budget and to appropriations, you're going to see very difficult, different results in the Senate and in the House. You're also going to see, uh, I think, uh, some very interesting opportunities uh, to, to sharpen legislation and develop it in some areas that have been neglected. For example, I think you're going to see Mr. Kelly of Northwestern Pennsylvania uh, chairing a subcommittee of the Ways and Means Committee with the opportunity to seriously develop uh, new tax legislation uh, and, and work through the details. Uh, what, what we've had for the past couple of sessions uh, has been uh, uh, severe ideological friction uh, and partisan differences. Uh, what, what I think you have the potential to see now is at the committee level, below the level of leadership, uh, the opportunity for some bipartisan interaction uh, and with Pennsylvanians playing a critical role in making that happen. Um, so I'm telling people that I'm working with uh, to look for strategies to move issues uh, at the committee level uh, and, be, and be prepared uh, to develop champions on both sides of the aisle because bipartisanship is going to be necessary to move legislation forward. But that's very interesting. And, and, and Alex, as a, as a former congressional staffer, you know, how do you see Washington functioning with a greater emphasis on the committees and a greater emphasis on that kind of incremental improvement uh, that uh, the congressman spoke of? Well, maybe uh, I, I hope my optimism isn't misplaced, but I often found that when there is you know, really a lot of focus on committee work, and yet, which is often behind the scenes, it's not as high profile. You're working very closely both at the staff level, at the at the uh, member level, and at the at the chair at the chairman level. Uh, oftentimes, you're working very closely, really getting into the the weeds and the nuts and bolts of of the legislation. And you know, going through that process, you know, I found could often create a a more positive working environment. You're trying to get bills moving. Um, you're, you're sort of forced, oftentimes forced to compromise. Um, and, and even for those, uh, you know, for whom, uh, you know, there, there's, there's reluctance to do that. If you're forced into it, it can, uh, you know, you hope create a more positive work environment and, and that can kind of lead into more, uh, more productivity at the, you know, once bills get to the floor, once they're, um, you know, going back and forth between the chambers. So, you know, I happen to think, a committee process, if you know, if, if the chairs and the senior staff are setting the right tone, can really uh, be very positive for the the institution overall. That makes a lot of sense to me. And and one of the frustrations we're going to see coming out of this Congress is there are going to be some very big issues that are going to be very hard to move forward. 
immigration is a good example. I find it very hard to envision major uh, legislation that fundamentally changes the immigration laws in a way that more and more people acknowledge has to happen, uh, happening in the next two years, uh, even at a time when we're clearly having a crisis on the southern border, at least. Um, I think uh, you're, you're probably uh, going to see uh, a great deal of difficulty moving serious tax reform at a time like this, uh, simply because I don't think this uh, Treasury uh, really has a, has a deep uh, instinct for tax reform. Uh, I think ideologically the current administration probably doesn't, doesn't function that way. Uh, but I do think there is a potential to develop tax reform for the future uh, in the guts of the committee, uh, uh, the committee's Senate Finance and House Ways and Means. There are going to be some other issues that I think are not going to go forward that are going to really frustrate people. And uh, one of them, I think, is national defense. Uh, I am hoping that we're going to see a major investment in, in our national defense uh, and, and a particular investment in improving the technology of our armed forces. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that we have the will to do that. And the big issue hanging over all of this, uh, which is a distinct change from the environment of the last couple of years, uh, I think there's a growing recognition that our national debt is out of control, that our deficits uh, have not been reined in, that our budget process is broken. And in order to uh, dig our way out from under this, on the lessons of history, we need to grow the economy faster. And I don't think there's a real consensus between the Republicans and Democrats on precisely how to do that. Very proud of the fact that the chamber uh, has made a particular focus on on economic growth. Absolutely, and and you you highlighted several key issues there that are going to be very challenging to work on in this type of tight environment. Uh, and you mentioned agriculture as an area where you think there's some opportunity. You're you're widely considered as as an expert on the issue of trade and have you know been very involved in, in international issues and trade for some time, both during your time in Congress and afterward. Are there issues related to trade that might have a window in this type of environment? I think there are, but it remains to be seen whether the administration is going to aggressively pursue them. Uh, we know that the Biden administration campaigned as being prepared to do something fundamentally different on trade and they were critics of the overhaul of trade policy that came through the Trump administration. And, and frankly, uh, the chamber also pointed out some of the flaws in trade policy over the past few years. Uh, but in the aftermath of the Trump administration, now that we have passed the USMCA, there are some core issues that many people expected would be addressed that haven't moved forward. For example, uh, steel tariffs is a good example. Uh, trade sanctions uh, were expected to be modified much more than they have been. Uh, so where, where does all of this leave us? Uh, I think the administration is going to have an opportunity in the next two years to decide when and how and in what form they pursue trade promotion authority. If they're prepared to do that, they have a number of potential trading partners where they could put together free trade agreements that would be uh, 
appealing across the political spectrum. For example, uh, we're very interested at my firm uh, in the uh, free trade agreement with Kenya uh, that has been talked about uh, for a number of years. Uh, I think there is still a potential uh, for a, a major trade initiative with the EU, although that has become more and more difficult. This administration, I think, is less closely aligned than the last one uh, with, uh, with uh, Great Britain on the possibility of a free trade agreement there. Uh, but I think in general, there's a recognition that we need uh, a, a stronger, more consistent trade policy, and there are going to be opportunities. The big issue that I think is going to be unifying across political lines is going to be the whole question of China, not only the 301 tariffs, uh, but also the issues of forced labor uh, and violations of intellectual property, and more recently, China's clear efforts to circumvent countervailing duties. Uh, by passing the CHIPS bill in the last Congress on a bipartisan basis, I think Congress set the stage for a much stronger China policy, for a reshoring of certain kinds of manufacturing, and for a better protection of our technology. I think the new Indo-Pacific economic framework has the potential to produce some very fertile changes uh, in trade policy that I think uh, could be very, very significant for the long haul. So trade promotion authority, which I think the administration has to look into themselves and ask for. I think that uh, some of the traditional issues like GSP and a miscellaneous tariff bill are always out there. Uh, but, but those issues, sanctions, there is a strong trade team in this administration uh, between Gina Raimondo, the Commerce Secretary, and Catherine by the USTR. Uh, I think if they're given the green light, they have the potential to move forward and make real progress in this space. Uh, but we're going to continue to have uh, a certain amount of friction with our European allies uh, because of perceptions on both sides of protectionism. And particularly, I want to uh, be sure I make this point, uh, when we saw uh, the environmental initiatives passed by Congress uh, last time, largely incentives uh, for new green technologies, uh, they had uh, significant um, uh, domestic preferences built into them as tax provisions. Those have been uh, partially waived vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, 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 Europe, uh, but not completely. And I think they're going to those things are going to continue to be a potential irritant, particularly because of the priority that the administration places not only on trade, but also on climate change initiatives. Uh, I don't know how Alex feels about this, uh, but I think trade is one of the areas where there could be uh, a certain level of bipartisanship uh, and potentially uh, some very new policies. Well, Congressman, I certainly hope you're right there. Uh, we uh, completely agree that that trade ought to be a priority of of the administration and and the new Congress. You know, the the United States has has trade agreements, I think, with maybe 20 countries, but it's been at least a decade since a, since a new uh, free trade agreement has been has been signed. I believe um, 
by the United States. And of course, we're not, we don't exist in a vacuum. Other, other countries, uh, the EU, China, uh, even you know, Mexico and Canada, other allies, but all these countries are, are pursuing trade agreements around the globe. I think we trail all those countries and the EU uh, in terms of, of trade agreements with other countries. And we're, um, we're losing opportunity. Pennsylvania companies, we've shown when they have the opportunity to compete with, uh, with you know, around the globe, they succeed. Uh, but we need, you know, we need good uh, trade agreements that, that promote fair and free trade in order to do that. And certainly hope it is a priority going into the next couple of years. The other big issue, of course, is the World Trade Organization, uh, which has fallen on, I think, uh, rough times. Uh, you know, I think uh, the participation in the world trading system by the United States is facilitated when you have uh, a strong rules-based uh, trading system. And what we're seeing right now is a bifurcation where increasingly we have countries that are aligned with us that are, are following the same general rules. And at the same time, we are seeing organized more and more around China, uh, another axis uh, that, that approaches trade in a very different way uh, and, and increasingly, I think, a mutually exclusive way. And that, that is, is going to be one of the most difficult nuts that this administration and the next few is going to have to crack. Um, the World Trade Organization is going to have to be rethought uh, if it's going to be the center uh, of a rules-based trading system. Uh, you know, I think that the, we, we allowed China into the WTO when I was uh, in Congress, and uh, we had no notion at the time that China at this stage would still be insisting on being treated as a developing uh, economy. Uh, essentially uh, dictating for itself uh, a series of exclusions from the rules that the developed world uh, is required to follow. That is precisely the kind of inequity that needs to be rethought. Uh, and if we're going to have a strong rules-based trading system, there needs to be uh, a, an accepted rule keeper uh, that's, a, that's able to uh, make decisions uh, that countries will abide by. Uh, that means uh, the WTO is going to have to be reformed or replaced. So taking a little turn here, uh, let's talk about Harrisburg. Uh, we've seen an unprecedented uh, move in leadership over the last 24 hours or so. Uh, probably the best way to lead into this is kind of have Alex walk through what happened and then we can talk a little bit about what the implications are. Yeah, with, with everything going on in Washington, D.C., if, if you thought you were going to get anything uh, you know, more predictable and conventional in Harrisburg, you are, you are mistaken. It has been an interesting uh, period of, of, of leadership elections in particular. And it, was, you know, it, it has been a couple months really since the uh, November election when there has been uh, uh, you know, tremendous intrigue into how leadership elections and the Speaker of the House in Pennsylvania in particular was going to play out. You know, Democrats on election night won a, a very narrow majority, 102 to 101, um, first, you know, first majority for the Democratic Party in over a decade. Uh, but soon thereafter, uh, they 
became a, a functional minority. The 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 uh, unfortunate um, unfortunate death of of uh, State Representative Tony DeLuca out in Allegheny County. A couple members of the House Democratic Caucus elected to higher offices. Uh, so when the election for Speaker of the House came up, it was 101 Republicans, 299 Democrats, and uh, certainly not clear how that election was going to play out. Uh, Joanna McClinton from Philadelphia, the, the Democratic uh, leader, was viewed as, as the front runner for uh, Speaker of the House, but not necessarily a clear path to get there, given uh, how the votes were, were shaking out. Uh, Brian Cutler, the former Speaker of the House from Lancaster County and the Republican leader, uh, sort of viewed as the Republican alternative. Ultimately, when the, when the, the final vote came up, neither of them were, um, were part of that election. And uh, two names that had really not been discussed much at all uh, were on that, uh, you know, in that final vote. On the Republican side, you had uh, State Representative Carl Metzger uh, from, uh, from Somerset County. And on the Democratic side, uh, State Representative uh, Mark Rossi from Berks County uh, and, and Representative Rossi all ultimately won the election as Speaker of the House for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania uh, with a coalition vote of, uh, of all the Democrats and about uh, 15 or so Republicans, including Republican leadership, who voted for, uh, for Mark Rossi. And if you had asked most uh, political prognosticators in Pennsylvania who was going to be Speaker of the House at the end of uh, January 3rd, I certainly didn't hear many uh, you know, mentioning Mark Rossi. And yet here we are. So you know, very interesting. it'll be very interesting to see, of course, kind of how things play out in the uh, days, weeks, and months ahead. There will be special elections eventually to fill those open seats and expected that at some point, uh, Democrats will have a functional majority, potentially. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, Mark, uh, Representative Mark uh, Rossi, now Speaker Rossi, um, after being elected, told his colleagues that he planned to uh, serve as an independent and not uh, caucus with the Democratic Party, which is, uh, you know, a kind of an unprecedented move in the history of Pennsylvania. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of moving pieces and, and a lot of interesting developments here in uh, here in Harrisburg, Bill. Well, Congressman, you spent a fair amount of time in Harrisburg before you went to Washington. Uh, is this something that you could have anticipated or saw coming with such a narrow, narrow majority? And and, you know, how does a new governor govern in an environment like this? I think the new governor will have great opportunities depending on how the House arranges itself, uh, who's in charge of the committees, what the committee ratios are. This governor has clearly approached the legislature as a former legislator himself uh, with a degree of sophistication uh, and with pre-existing relationships. Uh, this is a governor who probably is better qualified than any governor uh, going back to uh, the middle of the last century uh, in terms of credentials uh, taking office. So I would say that uh, this is going to be an opportunity uh, for Josh Shapiro uh, to uh, move his agenda forward, building a relationship with House committees, 
and also uh, developing a relationship with the Senate leadership. Uh, I think there are some clear areas where Josh Shapiro is pushing an agenda which will have broad bipartisan appeal. I think that will include probably business tax cuts, uh, and it could include a, a variety of other things. There are going to be some issues that aren't natural to the Republican agenda that are likely to move forward, including a minimum wage increase. Uh, but uh, other than that, uh, I think this is going to be fertile ground. Alex, and what do you see uh, moving forward, uh, especially now that we have a, a firm Republican Senate, uh, which obviously was able to sort of sit back and watch what was happening in the House? Uh, what do you see happening um, as a result of that? Well, I, I would uh, concur with uh, Congressman English's uh, assessment and I guess prediction for how the Shapiro administration, you know, will proceed. This is a, you know, a governor, as as was noted, has, you know, experience and good relationships with the legislature, uh, recently announced that a member of his cabinet, uh, Mike Verb, will serve as secretary for legislative affairs. Mike Verb, uh, a former member uh, also of the House of Representatives, a Republican from Montgomery County. Uh, and, and look, Governor uh, Shapiro campaigned hitting a lot of issues and themes and topics that that resonated with a a broad, had broad appeal resonated with a broad scope of the Pennsylvania public and with you know the business community and employers you know who the the PA chamber um, you know advocates on on behalf of Governor you know candidate Shapiro talked about uh, improving the tax climate for businesses looking at regulations and permitting and trying to remove obstacles that are inhibiting economic growth for, you know, Pennsylvania's, uh, you know, for Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania employers. So if, if, if candidate Shapiro and now governor elect Shapiro uh, continues those themes as, as priorities, as his administration kicks off, I think he'll find a legislature that is, not only interested, but but uh, excited to uh, to work with him, and you know that will uh, on issues that that have bipartisan and and broad appeal. Uh, but of course, it, it it you know nothing is ever as as easy or simple as it might seem, and there are a lot of uh, competing interests and a lot of priorities that that various constituencies have with with Pennsylvania state government and. And there will be uh, that the kind of usual uh, push and pull of of the legislature once we really get into session. What do you see as the likely issues that have the most chance to draw the interest of of both sides of the aisle that that might be able to navigate through through Harrisburg at this point? Well, I go back to some of these uh, you know top priorities for the, for the business community for the PA chamber, you know, looking at tax policy, uh, the, uh, the business community and, and Pennsylvania made some tremendous progress on improving Pennsylvania's tax climate last session, um, getting a, a long sought after uh, reduction in uh, Pennsylvania's corporate net income tax rate, which for years had been you know, one of the highest in the country. Uh, and and finally got legislation passed to reduce that rate, uh, but over a period of time. 
and their you know governor uh, governor elect Shapiro has talked during the campaign about speeding up that time frame, trying to make Pennsylvania more competitive and doing it quicker. You know, I think that you know that is something that we certainly hope the legislature will uh, will also make a priority. Uh, looking at things like like workforce, you know, we hear from our members and, and Pennsylvania employers all over the Commonwealth who continue to struggle to fill open positions, and you know that is you know one of the major uh, obstacles to economic growth and Pennsylvania realizing its full potential. Uh, I think I think the governor working with the legislature and, and stakeholders on on improving. Um, improving the workforce and and better aligning the educational and and job training community with the business community, so that there are you know good jobs for Pennsylvanians when they're when they're uh, graduating, when they're when they're moving on into the, into their careers, or for you know incumbent workers who are looking for a career change or to get back into the workforce, uh, you know, focusing on on some of those issues uh, early in this uh, new session. I uh, certainly hope can, um, you know, uh, can have bipartisan support and, and can be, you know, good for all of Pennsylvania. So kind of as we close this discussion, um, what I really wanted to close with is uh, uh, start with you, Congressman English, your thoughts on how an organization like the chamber and the business community as a whole, how it can serve um uh, to bring people together, to bring the the diverse um, caucuses together to get things done for Pennsylvania and then get things done for Washington as well. What what role do you see both the business community and the chamber playing in that in that effort? I think that the chamber is one of the most effective organs of the business community to build public support and understanding for the kinds of policies and the kinds of changes that we need in Pennsylvania to build the economy of the future. We're going to have not only a manufacturing future and an agricultural future, but also a technology future. Uh, I believe the chamber has done a very good job of highlighting what needs to be done to incubate the new energy economy, the new technology economy, uh, and to attract public support for the kind of development that is positive, uh, particularly the kind of development that can uh, bring jobs and, and bring good, good paying lifestyles back to rural areas, but also to inner cities. Uh, Pennsylvania is very much in a challenging position uh, because it has been losing population uh, and its business climate has not been perceived as competitive. Thanks to the chamber, we've seen a lot of that turnaround. Uh, I think that going forward, the chamber has a, a, an opportunity, an obligation, and I think a real strength uh, in, in arousing public support uh, for the kinds of investments, changes, deregulations, that are going to be needed to make Pennsylvania a world-class competitor in the future. Alex, I'll give you the last word. Well, thank you, Bill. And, and Congressman, it's always a pleasure to, uh, to be with you. Um, and I, I would hope and I expect the PA Chamber to you know, live up to 
uh, everything the congressman said. You know, we have been uh, we've been around for you know 107 years, and our focus has always been to advocate on behalf of Pennsylvania employers, make Pennsylvania attractive and competitive. And and uh, on behalf of, of of all residents of the Commonwealth, and you know we will continue that uh, that most important mission going into this new session. We pride ourselves on uh, maintaining you know uh, great and constructive relationships with policymakers on both sides of the aisle, administration, legislature, uh, etc., and uh, and and willing always to you know roll up our sleeves and and try to work and to, to develop good policy. You know, we will fight like hell on, on issues that uh, we believe could be could be harmful to employers, but also understand that uh, that uh, that compromise is not a bad word. And and in order to advance an agenda, it, it, it means, uh, you know, working with with a broad range of stakeholders. And that's going to you know, continue to be our approach to advocacy and uh, and and we're excited. I think uh, there there are there are uh, bright days ahead for the Commonwealth. Absolutely, and this has been a real pleasure. Um, and I think uh, you know, just want to remind our members that um, you know when you need to find out what's happening in Harrisburg, Alex is is always here, and his entire team of government affairs professionals. Uh, feel free to reach out to them get the inside scoop. And uh, we love to hear what our members uh, are going through, what their challenges are and opportunities are that uh, changes in state policy and legislation can help to affect. And and I could have listened to Congressman English speak about trade for, for a couple of hours. I get maybe that makes me a policy nerd, but um, boy, if, you're, if your organization is, is dealing with trade issues or frankly, wants to be a larger player on the world stage in terms of trade, you really need to give Congressman English uh, and his team, Aaron Fox and Schiff, give them a call because there's an opportunity for um, someone that used to represent uh, Congress to represent you, which is which is a tremendous resource. So thank you to both of you for the time today. And uh, we look forward to uh, having you join us for future conversations on our podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to the All Business Podcast from the Pennsylvania Chamber. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. With almost 10,000 member organizations, the Pennsylvania Chamber advocates for job creation and greater prosperity across the Commonwealth. Visit our website at pachamber.org to learn more about us, our members, and how to become part of the statewide voice of business. We'll see you next time.